The national champion Yukon Huskies have just proved what we've been saying all along. There is an elite, dominant team in college basketball this season. You are Locked On College Basketball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, what's up? Welcome into the Locked on College Basketball podcast, the only daily national college hoop show out there. We are your co-hosts. This is my man, Andy Patton. I'm Isaac Shade, and we have sadly but blissfully, bittersweetly, come to the end of the 2022-23 season, and the Yukon Huskies are your national champion for the fifth time in the last 24 years tournaments wild stuff andy and we start by talking about this game we'll get into the yukon of it all we'll get into the san diego state of it all in a little bit but 76 59 andy i said it off the top we've been telling you that based on historical ken palm numbers and other things yukon was really the only viable national champion and they proved it again on monday night as the second number four seed to ever win still have never had a five seed win all the other top eight seeds have won at some point, but never a number five. And Andy, we, we want to talk about some of these matchups that we mm-hmm. had discussed on yesterday's show, how they played out in actuality. Um, but man, let's look at some of the heavy hitters. Both Tristan Newton and Adama Sonogo finished with double doubles. One of those surprising, the other not. Sonogo had four double doubles out of their six tournament games. The only two he didn't, he fell shy because he had eight rebounds. So uh, obviously he turns into the MOP of this thing. Tristan Newton, meanwhile, 19 and 10, he was the leading scorer in the game, had a personal 7-0 run at one point. And I don't mean just seven straight for UConn. I mean, no one else on either (laughs) team scored in that run. And so Andy, before we get to Newton and the backcourt stuff, let's look at the front court matchups. Cause I think that was where we surmised this would probably be one. The funny thing is both front courts kind of did what we expected them to do. It's just that Yukon's was really good and San Diego state played as well. Yes. Yeah. It was a, a dominant performance, dominant performance from Yukon across the board, quite honestly. And a, a shout out to San Diego state for making it interesting in the second half, something that really nobody else has managed to do against UConn throughout this tournament. Uh, you know, Gonzaga folded, Arkansas folded, St. Mary's, they dealt with an injury, but they kind of folded as well. And, and San Diego Miami State got it to like eight. Was that Miami did? Miami did keep it kind of close. Uh, so shout out to them as well. But San Diego State was really the only team that, that I mean, they had a, a horrendous first half. I, and they went a, 11 minutes without making a field goal. That's, Something like it that. was 16. I have the note right here. The um, 1634. Matt yeah. Bradley made about uh, like a mid-range jumper. Mm-hmm. Five twenty-six. Tremel had a layup. Or, no, it couldn't have been a layup because that yeah. didn't happen. They didn't have any of those either. <laughs> yeah, and, 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 and I mean, eleven minutes. Yeah, and and there's a tremendous shout out to to UConn's defense, but really, uh, kind of speaking to what you were talking about with the front court, like UConn's front court was so excellent in this game, and I, the, the testament to what you just said. San Diego State didn't make a lay-in until the under sixteen mark in the second half. That was our first lay-in. Of the game and Mensa and Arap combined to have one point on O of seven shooting in this game. Jaden Ladie, he had a nice game coming off the bench. Shout out to him, seven points on three of six shooting. I thought that there was a lot of kind of isolation offense that San Diego State played where they got him the ball in the mid post. And instead of facing up and shooting, he decided to try to score on Donovan Klingon, which didn't go particularly well. He did pick up a few fouls on him, which helped San Diego State kind of pick up some momentum. But 
by and large, this was a, an absolutely dominant performance from UConn's front court. Adama Sonogo, again, 17 and 10. Klingon, as it is kind of so often the story with Donovan Klingon, the numbers don't really pop out at you. He had four points, three boards, two steals, a block, and an assist. Like a, a fine performance. Foul yeah. trouble kind of kept him off the floor for large chunks of the game, uh, which is also part of the story for Donovan Klingon a lot of the time. But <laughs> an absolutely dominant performance from UConn's front court. And I think. Uh, we knew that there was a good chance that that would be the reality for the Huskies is that their front court would, would play extremely well because they have been doing it all season long and all tournament long in particular. But what we needed to see Isaac was whether their backcourt could do it because they, you need everybody to beat San Diego state. This is a very good team and you can't just beat them with your front court. And boy, howdy, did that backcourt step up for him? <laughs> they did. Yeah, absolutely. We we wondered yesterday. I mean, I very mm-hmm. rem- specifically remembered on yesterday's show saying mm-hmm. uh, when we had that segment, we talked about if we wake up on Tuesday morning and San yep. Diego State's your national champion is the headline, what happened? Well, one of the things we talked about was it meant that Jordan and Hawkins and Tristan oh. Newton had mm-hmm. either not done much or San Diego State had shut them down. Right. Well, 35 combined points from these two young men. Mm-hmm. Uh, not to mention that Newton double-double we talked about. Mm-hmm. I don't think we need to say much more about it. They did yeah. what they needed to do. And unfortunately for San Diego State on the flip side, Matt Bradley, their their lone double-digit score on the season, didn't get there. It was mm-hmm. eight points, which, which is fine for a low-scoring team. Yeah. But I, I think San Diego State kind of goes as he goes. You said mm-hmm. yesterday very well, Andy, I thought, that it needed to be both he and Tremel mm-hmm. and and we got you know Tremel like was Johnson okay. Butler both mm-hmm. got into into double digits along with Tremel, but mm-hmm. um, I mean five of eleven shooting for both Lamont Butler and Darion mm-hmm. Tremel, and so uh, just it, I mean that's what happens in a yep. big blowout like this. There was front court dominance and back court dominance for UConn. Yeah, what a what a great performance from those guards. Uh, Hawkins and Newton combined to go ten of twenty from the field. Uh, three of seven from deep, 12 of 12 from the free throw line, did not miss any free throws. Uh, just a, a, And for the record, UConn, 24 of 27 from the line. Like that's not even something that, that we discussed all that much. But in a game where, where San Diego State get, did get into foul trouble early, I think they were in the, the bonus with like 14 to go or something. In like the second that. half, yeah, they were. Yeah. Yeah. They were in the bonus early and UConn made them pay at the free throw line. They just kept burying their shots. And uh, again, I, San Diego State did make things interesting in the second half. We saw them start to kind of crawl back a little bit, but this is a team that their bench didn't give them much of anything, and we kind of talked about that being a factor here. We we mentioned a few players who might end up being kind of the the unsung heroes. I think the two guys that I mentioned, I remember, were were the three-point shooters, Adam Seiko and Joey Calcaterra, and and Seiko had three points for San Diego State off the bench. He was only one of two bench players who scored for the Aztecs, the other one being Lede, who we mentioned earlier, who, who... was kind of a catalyst for that spark that they went on in the second half, but 10 points off the bench, only two players when they had a whole, I mean, a lot of guys only played the last few minutes or the last few seconds of the game. Right. So it doesn't necessarily count, but Micah Parrish goes over five, a Rop goes over three. Like you, you can't have that. You need your bench guys to step up. And the bench wasn't a huge factor for UConn scoring wise, but Klingon obviously makes a huge impact defensively. Calcaterra two of three from deep. Uh, yeah. so, let's just say though yeah. that those two yeah. were beautiful when he yeah. came around that curl to the top of yeah. the knee. I that mean, he has such a quick trigger. Goodness gracious! That yeah. one, and then the other one was that Andre Jackson fast break, uh, which which is a good segue. I want to talk about Andre Jackson because uh, I think he's one of those players who 
similar to Klingon, when you look at the box score, if you if you don't watch a lot of UConn basketball and you kind of just scout the box score, you're not going and you hear someone say that Jackson is one of, if not the best NBA draft prospect on the Huskies, that's probably going to surprise people. I don't think that is what they would expect based on looking at his numbers. But when you watch the way that he plays, the way that he makes decisions in transition, that pass where Calcaterra got the ball to Jackson, Jackson went down the floor, went through his legs behind him to Calcaterra, who was streaking behind him to hit that three. That was, <laughs> was beautiful awesome. basketball. Like bring a tear to your eye beauty from a basketball perspective. It truly was. And Jackson, he was the catalyst for that. He had six assists in this game. He only took three shots. So he only has three points, which I know is, you know, makes it look like, oh, he didn't have that big of an impact. But he had one of three shooting, three boards, six assists, a pair of steals. Really nice performance from him. And I think you can see just watching the way that he has impacted the game throughout this tournament. I'm not sure which of the broadcasters said it, but somebody said, I'm not sure that UConn wins this game without Andre Jackson. And well, I'm not. I think, sure. I think Bill Raftery said. I think it was Raftery said that. I'm not quite sure I get there. But like, <laughs> the fact that that's at least a conversation you can have when his when the team won by 17 points and Andre Jackson only had three points is a testament to how impactful he actually was on this game. Yep. As for UConn, you know they were up 12 at the half and it, it felt like they were in charge. It did feel like they should be up more. I think even Danny Hurley even said it in in. Uh, talking at the, the halftime interview there um, really felt like there were some missed opportunities in the last couple minutes and San Diego State made, finally made some shots yeah. um, down the stretch there. Uh, but I, it made me start wondering like UConn feels very much in control of this game, mm -hmm. but what can San Diego State who's been a second half team do in the second half? And we remember last year's national championship game where Andy, I, I uh, don't mind saying that the deficit, the margin was 15 mm -hmm. at halftime, and Kansas came all the way back yeah, and won the national championship mm -hmm. from that. And so here's the thing. San Diego State did ultimately make that push. They got the lead down to five points, but UConn showed their tenacity, their experience, mm -hmm. pushed it back out, and with about two minutes to go, they had put it beyond that halftime lead. And at that point, it was just mathematic, and it was pretty much over. And so... Mm -hmm. um, San Diego State, credit to them for that push, but UConn just too much, too big, too athletic in the end. And so, Andy, I, I think one of the questions, and we'll probably end up talking about this more mm -hmm. in the days and weeks to come, but yeah. in terms of this game itself, where does it fall in terms of national championship games? Mm -hmm. I don't mind giving it a, meh. <laughs> and I, I, I think a lot of that is a tribute to UConn and just mm -hmm. how freaking good they are. Yeah, I'm with you 100%. I, I think that the game itself wasn't excellent. Uh, we talked about the fact that San Diego State did not make a lay until the under 16 at the second half. Like that, some of that was UConn's defense, and yeah. good defense is not necessarily bad to watch. But from an aesthetic perspective, this was not the prettiest basket. I mean, I think about like even Baylor Gonzaga, which was an ugly game for Gonzaga in particular. Like it was a, it was a prettier basketball game. That's a great there point. Were more made shots. There was more, like it was just, it was just, you know, better. It felt and, smoother. Yeah. Yeah. It was smooth. That's the word I was looking for. Smoother, I think is a good way to put it. This game was more, it was kind of just like a, a, a rock fight. It was messy. A lot of mid shots at the rim, a lot of like guys falling down, a lot of kind of ugliness, which <laughs> is not bad necessarily, but it's a little bit less watchable. And I think that's kind of what we got. However, while this may not have been one of the most exciting games that we have ever seen, 
What we did get was one of the most incredible runs through the NCAA tournament that we have ever seen. In fact, UConn joins extremely rarefied air by having beat every team they played in the tournament by 10 or more points. There are not a lot of teams that have done that. We'll tell you who has and where we think UConn ranks amongst dominant NCAA tournament performances after a word from today's sponsor, Built Bar. The Built Bar March Madness bracket is here, and we know that you have a favorite bar or puff, and now is your time to make it count. Go to BuildMarchMadness.com right now to vote for your favorites. You know I'm going to be voting for the Churro Bar. I know Mr. Shade over there is going to be voting for the Churro Bar as well. Who are you going to vote for? And when you do, you can be entered into a drawing where 50 lucky Locked On listeners will get a free box of Built. Not only that, but one Locked On listener will get a 12-month subscription to Built to have Built's best bars or puffs delivered monthly straight to your door. You've got to try Built. It is the best protein bar ever. Seriously, they are so amazing, and you will not think that they are healthy for you. What makes Built Bars and Puffs so good? Well, for starters, they are high in protein, they are low in sugar, and they're covered in 100% real chocolate. That's right, real chocolate. So run to BuiltMarchMadness.com right now to vote for your favorite bar or puff and pick up a box while you're there. Built Bar, a proud sponsor of the Locked On Podcast Network. Well, Isaac... We kind of teased this coming into this segment, talking about UConn space uh, as a team that not only won the NCAA tournament championship, but did it by winning every single one of their games by 10 or more points. There are five programs that have ever done that. Michigan State in 2000, a team that often gets discussed as one of the best as ever. Duke last in- Big Ten champion. The last Big Ten champion. That's a good point as well. Uh, after that, it's ACC and Big East because that's who's been winning most of the championships lately. Uh, Duke next up at 2001, North Carolina in 2009 with Tyler Hansborough and Villanova in 2018. That's it. That's it. Isaac, do you know how many times a team has won all six of their games by 13 or more points like UConn did? Well, I'm going to guess it's none time. <laughs> is it because you wrote it in our notes? <laughs> it is absolutely because I wrote it in our notes. I spent the last, I spent the early part of the second half researching this because yeah. I was like, this game could get out of hand and I want to be ready with these notes for when Andy and I record. So I looked it up. Yeah. It's and a great yeah. fact. And, and I think there is an element of, of where we, how we rank UConn's run through the lens of who they played. And, and I, tend to not like taking teams down too much for who they play because I don't think that it, you can't control that. It's not your fault that Kansas lost to Arkansas. Like that's not UConn's fault. Uh, UConn did, they did not have to play a one seed or a two seed. And, and as much as I don't like using that, I think it, you have to acknowledge it. It is, it is a part of what happens to them. Yep. But I mean, don't Gonzaga is a pretty darn good team. Miami was a pretty darn good team. Uh, San Diego state. Don't tell them they're a bad team because they sure as heck were not no, a bad no. team at all. Like th- this UConn team had to beat an Arkansas was, I don't know that they were under but it's, really hard to argue that that wasn't one of the, the most talent, talented yeah. eight seeds yeah. we've ever seen or at least in a long long time that's a really good Arkansas team and, and St. Mary's excellent team as well so this was an extremely extremely impressive run to me greatest of all time probably not maybe no. we can have that conversation when we when we do a little bit more digging into some of the other ones but they won every single game by 13 or more points. Like this was an outstanding run from UConn. And, and again, we talked about this kind of recently, uh, maybe Monday's show or one of the shows over the weekend. I don't remember, but we discussed you kind of UConn's seed. They were a four seed. Where, does that mean that they're going to kind of get less respect? And yeah. I don't think that they should. I don't think they should either. Um, 
And I, I think it is under seat. Now they shouldn't have been seated too much higher, but I no. would have, if I was the selection committee, UConn's getting a three. Yeah. I, I don't think because of the eight losses I, mm-hmm. and because of not winning yeah. I like big East regular season or tournament, yeah. I don't think they have an argument for it too, because right. the, the, I mean, we talked at length, and it's so funny now, but we talked at length about how much those top eight seeds had s- separated and identified themselves very specifically. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> whoops, right? Like, this just yeah. the NCAA tournament for you. But mm-hmm. um, UConn yeah. is just boat racing, man. And it, it's well worthy. I mean, they, they mm-hmm. finish – at, I, I looked just before we started. Ken Palm mm-hmm. has already updated since the game. They mm-hmm. finish third in offensive efficiency, seventh in defense, de- defensive efficiency. I'm Castilian <laughs> now. Uh, seventh <laughs> in defensive efficiency. Mm-hmm. And that means, Andy, that the Ken Palm trends both continue, yep. which is always good for content. Yep. We still have never had a team um, finish worse than 22nd at defense as the national champion, never worse than 39th in offense as the national yep. champion. And so UConn is a more than worthy champion, right? Like, and I think you're spot on with what you said Mm -hmm. that I, I'm not going to call them like the greatest Mm -hmm. in the 64 or more team era, but their, their run certainly is in the top several. Right. Mm -hmm. And and that's how we're going to have to, we're going to have to figure out ways to specifically litigate Mm -hmm. this. Yeah. And Andy, to that point about UConn's defense being seventh, I think we need to spend a minute talking about that because we, have spent so much time talking about San Diego state's defense Mm -hmm. and rightfully so Andy, right? Like fourth, fourth ranked team in defense at Ken Palm. So rightfully Mm -hmm. so we've talked about San Diego state's defense. So, so much that I believe we completely overlooked UConn's defense Mm -hmm. and wrongly. So yeah, (laughs) they finished seventh at Mm -hmm. Ken Palm. Let me just give you some of the things they did in the national championship game. And then I'll let you go from there. San Diego State shooting in the first half of the national championship game. In the first three minutes and 26 seconds, they made four of five, 80% clip. Way to go, Aztecs. In the remaining 1634, they went four of 23. That is a 17.4% field goal percentage, Andy. In that stretch that we talked about, that whatever, however long, that 11 minute stretch, they Mm -hmm. missed 14 straight field goals. Yeah. San Diego State scored the third fewest points in the first half of a national championship game since the mm-hmm. expansion in 85. The only two teams to score lower were in the same game. It was yeah. Butler and UConn in 2011. Butler scored 22. UConn scored 19. I, I think you said it earlier. San Diego State's first layup yeah. came four, over four minutes into the second half. Mm-hmm. Um, San Diego's bench, you talked about them. Let's put some numbers on it. Yeah. On the season, they're scoring just slightly over 26 points a game. They had zero in the first half and finished with just 10. Mm-hmm. Now, yes, I people will probably say some of that is San Diego State is not a great offensive team. And that mm-hmm. is true. We've talked about that. They were in the mm-hmm. 70s for the majority of the tournament. I, don't, I haven't yeah. looked at where they finished. But let's give a lot of credit to UConn's defense for that performance that San Diego State just put up. Without a doubt, without a doubt, an excellent performance from UConn on the defensive end of the floor. Sonogo had some blocks. Obviously, Klingon used his size extremely well. The guards played well, and I think San Diego State's a team that relies a lot on that that mid range shot. And and we we talked about that a little bit about the, yeah. the anti analytics aspect of that and how hey it worked for San Diego State. I don't think that they were necessarily. I don't think that them using the mid range throughout the season was necessarily a lot of bad shots. But in this game, they were just contested. 
it was a lot of contested mid-range jumpers, and those are hard shots to make. And, and some of it was San Diego State missing shots they otherwise make. That happens. I don't think any team has ever lost a championship without uh, missing some shots they should otherwise make. That's just <laughs> part of what happens. Is that how basketball works? That's how basketball works. Uh, and I mean, huh. with the lay-ins too, it is not like every <laughs> single lay-in was, this, they should have made some of them. It just, it happens. It happens. But but by and large, UConn's ability to to prevent San Diego State from getting second chance opportunities, they cleaned up the glass really well. Uh, they made San Diego State work for every offensive possession. Uh, you know, dribble drives from Darion Trammell, which are, are usually very effective, were just less less effective in this game. He was going up against guards who really kind of pushed him out of his comfort zone. They couldn't get Mensa going at all around the block. Like it was a really, really dominant performance from UConn on the defensive end of the floor. And I think, you know, you, you listen to any of the conversations Dan Hurley has uh, in those kind of those, those meet those mid game press conferences he did with Tracy Wolfson. And, and he always talked about the defense. If given the opportunity to talk about the offense, he would skip it and talk about the defense. Like that was what mattered to him the most. Uh, and you could tell based on not just this game. I mean, they held Gonzaga to 54 points. Like they held Miami to a, a very low total. I don't remember the exact total, but this was a team that played dominant defense from the absolute start. Uh, and it's the reason they won this game against the Aztecs. And as we said yesterday, let's bring this back around. That was the reason why things went south in that two and six mm-hmm. stretch. Cause the yeah. defense was not yeah. up to that standard, but once they locked it back in boy, <laughs> mm-hmm. as you said yesterday, they were, there was only one other game outside of that stretch where they gave up 80 or more points. Yeah. That is a great defensive season. Andy, speaking of Dan Hurley, like what just a neat thing to see and to see the whole Hurley clan mm-hmm. in the stands, his dad, longtime coach, yep. his brother Bobby, the coach at Arizona State, who obviously mm-hmm. won back-to-back championships as a player at Duke, um, getting his son into the game at the end, getting yep. a big and just man, I'm as a as a dad, I'm such a sucker for yeah. moments like that. Was, that. that was really nice to see. That was yeah. cool. That yeah. was cool. I, I don't mind saying I had a little <laughs> Got a little dusty at, yeah. at old Shady Acres, I call my house. So, Andy, so far, I, unfortunately, but it's just kind of how the how the game went. We've we've had to dump on San Diego State a little bit, mm-hmm. but goodness, we need to make sure we take time to give these yeah. guys their flowers because what yeah. an impressive and incredible, and frankly, for the Mountain West and this program, historic mm-hmm. yeah. run. So while it may have fallen short, they're in an excellent spot going forward. We're going to tell you why right after this. Andy, we, we've given UConn all their requisite due. We've praised them well, I think, you know, like everyone's going to come on here and say, yeah, good job, Huskies, way to go. <laughs> but, but we always, in these moments, have to stop and say, mm-hmm. listen, you finished second out of 363 yeah. teams. That is something to be said. Mm-hmm. San Diego State has shown great grit all tournament long, battling back through, from adversity, from halftime deficits, finding ways to win, and that's what great teams do. Mm-hmm. They don't great teams don't always have to win by thirteen or more all six. Like mm-hmm. I'm still wrapping my brain around the fact that UConn did that. Yeah. But San Diego State, something has to be said for mm-hmm. what a tough, gritty team this is, and the great coaching job Brian Dutcher has done. I dislike i mean this is a much larger conversation we can have another time my friend but um the the rings culture the the championship mm. culture that just exists in, in really in basketball specifically i mean it exists in baseball and football as well but uh it's it's really wrapped up in the nba and it's it's kind of permeated to college a little bit as well and 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 i think it's unfortunate because it means that teams great teams often maybe don't get completely forgotten san diego state fans are, are definitely not going to forget about this team but I think that I, 
I'm worried that San Diego State will primarily be remembered for for losing badly in the NCAA tournament championship. And mm-hmm. this is a team that beat the the favorite, the team that everybody expected to win the championship, the team that came in with the number one ranking, number one seed in Alabama. Handily. Handily. Yeah, they, yeah, they, they beat them. Like, they beat them. They beat a really, really good Creighton team that I thought was underseeded and that played like they were underseeded throughout the tournament as well. Like, I mean, they, they won their first game was a 30-win Charleston team that I thought was really good too. Like, this team beat a bunch of really good teams. They did something that has never been done, not only at their program, but in the entire conference. That is an extraordinary accomplishment for San Diego State, for Brian Dutcher. Uh, and and like you said, they they did not go quietly into the night in this game. They did things that Gonzaga could not do. They did things that Arkansas could not do. They did things that St. Mary's could not do. They did things that Miami sort of did, uh, where they, <laughs> they got the thing back within two possessions. I, I couldn't believe it. I could not believe when I was watching the TV, like they have a chance at this thing. And it did not look like they had even a slim chance in the first half. It didn't, it didn't look like that. And then they climbed all the way back. Really extraordinary performance from them. And like you said, they, they deserve their flowers, even if the end result was what looks like another double digit win for UConn. Technically that's true, but there is more to the story. And I think, I hope that that, that portion of the San Diego state story continues to get told because they deserve it. Yeah, Aztec fans, congrats to you. And it, it, something I, I will say for our sport, Andy, is I feel like the the and obviously as you said, we got to unpack this in greater detail another time. But uh, let me compare it to college football. I feel like just making mm-hmm. the the playoff in football, those four mm-hmm. teams, is not as big a deal. Yeah. Making the final four in our sport is yeah. massive. That's so huge. I think maybe maybe there's this way in which. Right now, mm-hmm. we have trouble seeing the forest for the trees because we're yeah. right here. Yeah. And and it will obviously be UConn that will be the team most remembered to history. Yeah. But when we look back. Or, or Purdue. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. You're going to dig there. <laughs> Listen, you're not wrong at all. But we do. I mean, we always go back and look at Final Fours and who made it and what, mm-hmm. what were the Cinderella Final right. Four runs and how did they do and did they hold mm-hmm. up? And so, yeah. Um, I think that is one of the things where I think our sport, and I think mm-hmm. this will be part of the conversation that we have this summer at some point. Mm-hmm. I think our sport might honor some of that close but no cigarness yeah. better than a lot of other sports do. I agree. I agree. I think that's a, that's an excellent point, and I think San Diego State also joins a, a select group of mid-major teams to play for a title. We haven't seen that all that often, you know. And Gonzaga qualifies as a team that's not in a Power Six conference or a Power Five conference uh, right now. Butler was a mid-major team; they were in the Horizon League when they made it to that championship. Memphis was in Conference USA when they made it in 2008. You go all the way back to UNLV in 1990, and yes, they were a mid-major team, but they were an extraordinarily dominant team. <laughs> but like that puts San Diego State in really rarefied air. And I think another aspect of this that's worth noting is Memphis has not gotten to a power six conference. Yes, but they did advance to the American Uh, Butler, obviously now in a power six conference as a member of the big East Gonzaga heavily rumored to potentially be a big 12 team in the near ish future. Certainly no guarantees on that, but it is part of the conversation and San Diego state. And I think that's kind of where I want to run with this next, because I think one of the things that, and this was probably going to happen regardless, but, could they have done anything? They could have done one thing more, I suppose, but they basically did everything they possibly could to position themselves to be even more attractive to power conference programs. Uh, and, and that's huge. I mean, that's monumental. And, and the Pac-12 has been so heavily connected to San Diego State for 
for months and months and months now, and they haven't gotten it done because they haven't gotten their media rights deal done. And it's <laughs> kind of hard to, I think somebody, I saw somebody post this on Twitter. It's like, you can't go build a second room on your house when the foundation is falling on the backside. Like you got to take care of that first and you got to get the media rights deal done and you got to, you know, appease the, the teams that are currently in your conference. And then you can go out and add more people. But for, if I'm San Diego state right now, I'm not just sitting on my hands and waiting for the the Pac-12. Like, let's see what else is out there. Because, I mean, the Big 12, how could they not be interested? Brett Yormark, the commissioner, has made it so clear about two things. Thing one, he thinks basketball is an underutilized resource in uh, in the college landscape. And he thinks that building the best basketball conference, which he's already done, but continuing to do that is a positive thing. And he wants a team on the Western on the West coast. He wants a team in the Pacific time zone. That's why they're so connected to Gonzaga, but guess what? (laughs) Guess what? (laughs) San Diego state qualifies for both those things. They also have a football program. They give them a media footprint in the San Diego area, which is huge. So to me, and and I mean, I don't even think the big 12 is the only conference that's going to get involved along with the PAC 12, the big 10 might get involved. That's, we don't know that for sure. It's not, I'm not reporting any information here necessarily, (laughs) but I mean, it's hard to ignore San Diego State right now. And I think a lot of people are just like, oh, well, they're just going to they're going to be the replacement in the Pac-12 and kind of just like wrote that in pen a couple months ago. But every day that it doesn't happen makes me wonder if San Diego State and their their run obviously helps tremendously of like this is a, a brand like it's a it's a significant brand in a significant city. And I think that. You know, again, I think that their move to a power conference would have happened even if they lost to Charleston, but it it certainly didn't hurt what they did the last few weeks. Well, in in I believe it was yesterday or some point in recent days, we talked about not only what San Diego State's done this year, but the the twenty season that got canceled when Mm -hmm. they were thirty and two and probably would have been a one seed. Well, let's not forget in the two intervening years between Mm -hmm. then and now, I I went back and did the numbers in between then because I was curious. In that in this four year run, San Diego State is one hundred eight and twenty three. <laughs> Andy, they've won eighty two point four percent of their games in that stretch. That is obscene. They would have been a, a one seed. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming had that gone on. At worst, at, at, at worst a two, right? Mm-hmm. And then uh, the next season a six seed. Last mm-hmm. season an eight seed, and then obviously this year a five seed all the way to the national championship. Like yeah. Brian Dutcher's got this thing going, man. They are yeah. not going anywhere. I know they're going to lose some guys because they had some fifth year guys that literally were out of eligibility, like COVID years gone and everything, Mm -hmm. but they're going to keep getting dudes and guys are going to want to go play there, especially all the more if what you said happens, like, can they be Virginia West basically, right? Like Mm -hmm. defending in that same way, scoring just enough and doing it. I don't see why that can't happen. Well, we have to give a hearty goodbye friends. To our Aww. friend Jim Nance, uh, that's kind of how we wanted to end the show was uh, discussing Jim Nance and his. Uh, we don't have to talk about it too much, but extraordinary legacy for him uh, was was nice to get to see him kind of close out on his terms. Of course, got the Masters coming up as well, uh, an iconic figure in, in college basketball history, and it's it's going to be a bummer to not hear him going forward. It really will be. Uh, we've it's going to be in good hands. Of and course, excited for that, but. Man, it, it, it was weird. Um, mm-hmm. He's been doing this the majority of my life, like yeah. as, as, literally as long as I can remember it. And yeah. uh, so cool that he got to close it out in his hometown. Yep. Would have loved the storyline if his alma mater had been one of the two teams playing. Yep. Um, and that wasn't to be, but mm-hmm. yeah, sports doesn't always do that. But what what a 
wonderful ambassador yeah. for our game. Yeah. What a wonderful job he does leading those broadcasts, man. I mean, mm-hmm. you just know you're getting top, top elite um, play-by-play yep. anytime he's on the call. And that combination of him and Raftery, uh, <laughs> man, I, I, is, is a combination. Obviously, mm-hmm. Grant Hill is fine as well, but I just yeah. <laughs> I love the other two guys. And uh, that that's just a duo that I will not soon forget. Well, Jim Nance maybe head out the door, but, but but we're not. This is not our last show. This is the last game that we're going to be recapping specifically on a podcast, at least until November. But Locked On College Basketball is here for you every single day, five days a week going into the offseason. We got so much transfer portal news, so much coaching carousel stuff, everything going on. Uh, some stuff that we kind of we missed in the last few weeks that we're going to get to. We're going to cover that. We're going to cover all the new updates. LJ Cryer is in the transfer portal out of Baylor. What up? That's an interesting one. Of course, Hunter Dickinson in the portal as well. I think we already mentioned that on that show, but if not, wow, that's a huge name to be in the transfer portal. We're going to get so much stuff coming your way about that stuff. So if you don't already follow us on Twitter, I'm Andy Patton CBB. He is Isaac Shade. You can follow Locked On College Basketball on Twitter. You can find us on YouTube. Go hit that subscribe button if you have not done so yet. Uh, You can, of course, find us wherever you find your podcast. Leave us a review on iTunes. Let us know in the comments what you want to hear about this offseason, teams, players, uh, storylines, anything like that. We're happy to hear those suggestions and potentially put them forward because Isaac, as as much as uh, you know, it's, it's hard to say. We're not going to have we're not going to have college basketball games for, for quite a while. We got a we got a long time till our next game. So yeah. I want to thank all of you for listening. And again, we're not going anywhere. So you'll see us very soon. But until then, peace out. <laughs>